Welcome to Illumin America, a podcast created by the U.S. Baha'i Office of Public Affairs. Hello, everyone. This is James Samimi Farr, the media officer for the Baha'i Office of Public Affairs. This is our second episode of Illumin America. We're hoping it'll be a place where we highlight constructive approaches to some of America's most pressing issues. We're going to go now to our second interview in our short series about addressing economic inequality. This is hosted by Negar Abai, our economic justice discourse officer. Today, we're hearing from Jenna Nicholas, the co-founder of an organization called Impact Experience, which partners with communities to build bridges between impact investors, foundations, entrepreneurs, artists, and local leaders to co-create solutions to exclusion and inequality. Let's hear from Negar. Well, thanks very much for joining us today, Jenna. I know uh, you're part of a team, a really collaborative team at Impact Experience that brings a richness of experience and diversity to the work that you do. And that's sort of worthy of note in itself because your team um, and the people that you bring into conversation with each other are tackling some pretty complex problems and questions. Questions related to the uneven geography of wealth and poverty in the United States. Questions like how can resources of different kinds be invested in a community without deepening or perpetuating inequality? And how can we better understand the history and value the diverse resources that exist in a community and make central the participation of the people that live there? So can you tell us a bit about what Impact Experience does and why you see a need for the approach that you take? Thank you. It's really a pleasure to have this conversation today. And really a big part of the inspiration for us in co-founding Impact Experience was observing when we look more broadly within the investing sort of corporate environment, the disconnect that existed and exists between funders and businesses and marginalized communities and really sort of being inspired by the idea of how do we create spaces to build bridges across differences and co-create solutions between a broad range of different organizations and individuals. So universities and funders and artists and entrepreneurs and um, just key stakeholders within these communities that have been historically oppressed. Uh, and really building off the concepts in the Baha'i faith around people being protagonists of their own lives and journeys and seeing how little of, there is an acknowledgement of the importance of that within so much of the current uh, sort of discourse and so much of the funding environment. And so wanting to think about how do we create spaces of sort of an inside out approach in these communities. So whether it's in you know, southern West Virginia, where there's a history of deep extraction from the coal industry or in places like Puerto Rico, post the hurricanes, there was sort of a deep history of trauma that's been caused by colonialism and, and what have you that the need to recalibrate how we engage in these communities and the role of, of local voices in the conversation and engagement there. There are also a few core themes that run throughout most of our work. So this element around implicit bias is something that drives really all of our work. And so that's something that comes up a lot and is a lens and an entry point for much of our engagement. And similarly around climate resiliency. So a lot of the communities that we've been working in are communities that sort of post-disaster are looking at what does inclusive resiliency and recovery look like or 
Um, we have an initiative right now with the Sierra Club that's uh, 100 cities that have committed to transitioning to 100% renewable energy. And we're engaged around supporting around the implementation of that and particularly ensuring that there's a lens around climate and racial justice in the implementation of, of those commitments. So clearly participation and partnership uh, is central to this work and the, you know, the efforts you're undertaking. So who's, can you say more about whose participation you're concerned with and in what way? And also, like, what helps you to build relationships of trust and to really foster participation that's meaningful? Mm. So for us, when we think about the participation element, we really think about who are the people who historically haven't, whose voices haven't been heard? And how do we create opportunities and platforms for those voices to be elevated. So I think about, for example, just last weekend, we took a group to Montgomery, Alabama to visit the Equal Justice Initiative Lynching Memorial and Museum as part of this broader range of work around looking at structural racism and implicit bias. And we had a gentleman in the group, a young man who's formerly incarcerated and having him as part of the conversation and engagement when we're talking about these topics as being such an essential part of the discourse. And I think so often people talk on behalf of these people rather than actually having the lens and um, context from their perspective. So think about particularly people of colour and particularly women of colour um, as being a huge aspect of that. And so whenever we engage in a community, it's really important to us to spend a lot of time up front to identify the local partners, to have the local partners really drive the whole process of engagement in the community and as part of that kind of trust building element that you alluded to because people are often used to a modality of people coming in from outside of communities and it being more about what they can gain from that engagement um the need to really invest that time up front in that trust building work as being a core part of any engagement that we have in the communities that we work in and i think a big part of that trust building work is how do we actually connect as human beings so beyond the labels that we may have associated with us as investors entrepreneurs whatever it may be to actually what is that sort of core humanity underneath those labels and so a big part of our programs are are focused on developing those types of relationships and you mentioned this sort of going beyond the labels that we commonly um you know have attached to us but there's a way in which our identities really get bound up in being investor entrepreneur you know even activist organizer whatever it is um whether we've chosen it or it's been there we get bound up in that can you say more about the spaces that you create like how do you come um to have people sort of to appreciate the approach you're having what are some of the characteristics of the space that you create that allow people to sort of engage at that level the mm. common humanity and to engage almost in like a collective exploration of um the reality that they're faced with and of some pretty complex conditions mm. so firstly i think a lot of uh, the time that we spend with our participants is often even before they actually come to mm-hmm. the experience itself so the importance of really understanding the context in which people are coming from we curate the groups with a lens around diversity, equity and inclusion. So ensuring that we have a broad range of socioeconomic, religious, race, gender, every on every level, the, that's a big part of the curation process. And then and we typically keep the group fairly intimate in size. So between 25 and 30 people, which I think helps to enable that depth of connection. 
And then we'll always start um, each of our gatherings with everybody sharing a symbol or an object that has significance to them. And part of that is how are we able to actually show aspects of ourselves that are beyond just those labels? And it may be interconnected with the labels. Like we're, the, Our thesis isn't that labels in, the, in and of themselves are, are bad. It's more the the idea of if we think that the whole nature of our reality are those labels, that that's where we may be missing elements. And so I think a lot about, for example, in Southern West Virginia, we had in the group of former coal miner and he shared a piece of coal and he talked about how for him, coal wasn't just about his job, it was about his identity. Then in the group, we also had a Silicon Valley investor who'd spent her life fighting for environmental causes. And she talked about the fact that she'd never actually met a coal miner and the power of being able to connect at that deeply human level when they then went on to collaborate around initiatives that they had first built that time to actually see who they were as, as human beings rather than just these preconceived notions. So in the case of West Virginia, we've been working there now about five years and, and each sort of impact experience is built off the previous one. So uh, some of the projects that have come from our engagement there has been supporting around broadband access, initiatives around retraining former coal miners, supporting the build out of the tourism industry there, initiatives around addressing the very high rates of diabetes and obesity and drug offense rates within the community. So actually having people in the room who are able to make commitments to support that ongoing engagement and then both following up with them, but also engaging people who may not have been able to be part of the actual experiences themselves, but are deeply invested in the themes and issues that we're exploring and engaging. Can you think of maybe one example where something emerged out of this um, that might not have emerged? So um, something that emerged out of having included in it some of the people impacted by whatever this engagement might be, by having a people with diverse backgrounds and expertise by sort of looking at different dimensions of the program, you know, the different aspects of what comes out of uh, bringing it in a group of people like this together. Yeah. I mean, I think a few, one of the insights that we've had around our work and, and a lot of this came actually from some of our work in Puerto Rico was the role that artists can play in helping to illuminate another lens and light on the topics that we're discussing. So it's actually quite rare in typical investment meetings to have artists, right, be part of that engagement. And and artists, not just in the sense of like, oh, they're going to paint the conversation, but actually actively engaging the contribution that artists can play. So it was really powerful in Puerto Rico because, you know, we, we had our impact experience there shortly after the hurricanes. And the depth of trauma in the room was very visceral. And I think having artists with us to both process that experience, but also help to illuminate another frame and lens for engaging around the topics, both even realizing that actually the role of movement as a means for processing the level of trauma, for being able to see the lens that from these artists, activists who were working really grassroots within these communities, the perspective that they were able to, to give as people are thinking more broadly around investments that they can make in renewable energy and housing and what have you. Um, so that's something that now really since then, it's been it become an integral part to all of our experiences to have that of artist perspective in the in the conversations that we're engaging in what sort of barriers exist for these perspectives to come together is it just the space are there other things that you know need to be overcome like what are some of the things that you feel 
you've really had to learn how to tackle mm. in order to allow for a meaningful conversation and collective inquiry. Mm. I think a few. I think one is the acknowledgement and recognition that we are ultimately operating within a system of structural racism, right? And the principles around internalized racism. And I think as we've dug deeper into the work and research, the depth with which that goes. And part of the reason that we're so focused on implicit bias, in addition to, I think, what we see in the world so often is explicit bias, but the part of the focus around implicit bias is actually seeing how often even people who may think of themselves as not having any bias, the the role that it actually plays just because we operate within a system that has been based around that. And I think the depth with which that has been embedded into every aspect of our institutions, the untangling of that and creating the spaces to actually be able to acknowledge and engage around that. So when we look a lot at the fact that within the investments, you know, 98% of capital or less than 2% of capital is going into women and people of color run businesses. Um, that is a structural issue that we can each as, you know, as investors and as entrepreneurs and what have you engage uh, to try to address that. But recognizing that we're operating within a broader system where that's the case, um, I think is, is a challenging, but be really important to as we're devising solutions that they not just be piecemeal solutions, but actually tapping into some of these broader uh, systemic challenges. I think this element around really being thoughtful about what is being called for in a given moment or time, you know, our own preconceived notions, right? That we can, even with our best of intentions, because of experiences that we may have had elsewhere, think, oh, well, we have insights that might be applicable in the case of this given community. And that actually, unless we come in with a lens around appreciative inquiry and humility, that we can be closed off to actually being truly open to what a given person or community is asking for. Do kind of bigger questions around the economic system we operate in, certain assumptions that have come about sort of how free markets work, the central role of competition in those, you know, some of these broader questions, does that feature, does that come up? Is that just going too far for some of the people in the room? Uh, you can give a flavor of what that yeah. looks like and whether you go there at all. It does. And I think it's, it's, um, it's this really fine balancing act of, you know, we are very um, action orientated within the time that we have together. You know, and it's, I think it's finding this balance between the recognition that we need to be constructing new ways of doing everything across all of the systems in which we operate within. And so how do we both work within the current system, but then also through the activities that we're all engaging with also help to kind of build this new system? And so I think that that balancing act between sort of a crumbling system and then building a new one is something that we think about a lot. And I think both like directly when we're actually in communities, I think it's pretty like, action orientated. But I think by the nature of actually engaging in that work, it brings up a lot of these broader uh, questions and conversations. And we started doing some webinars and writing and just sort of different ways of thinking about how do we engage around some of these b- bigger topics that aren't just particular community orientated, but are more at this kind of systems approach um, because it's, I think, an essential part of the discourse, um, but one that, you know, when everything feels so urgent, I think the um, sometimes the ability to actually take that step back uh, can, be, can feel challenging. Yeah. 
So thinking about kind of this overarching question that's animating kind of these conversations that we're having with various people, which is sort of what are the conditions and how does one create the conditions for constructive dialogue around an issue, economic inequality, that has become quite contentious and polarizing and in some ways gets stuck. What are the frontiers of learning for the impact experience team? What's the question or challenges that, that are on the horizon for you that you're wrapping mm-hmm. next? One of the things I think about, that was a, was a quote I heard when I was young, and it says, um, he drew a circle and shut me out, but love and wit had the will to win. I drew a circle and drew him in. And I think a lot about in this work, it can be so easy to engage with people who are already sort of pretty receptive to these concepts. And I think a lot about how do we engage with people who actually aren't particularly receptive? Right? And how do we think about sort of the scaling aspect of this? So, we th- so I think both more people and then what are the types of people that we're engaging uh, to be able to continue to expand those circles. Oh, well, thanks very much, Jenna, for some, sharing some of these insights and look forward to an ongoing conversation where we get to both bring in other people and to explore some of these questions together. But thank you very much for being with us. Thank you. Thank you.